Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. In May of this last year, the American Psychiatric Association reported that 41% of Americans were more anxious this year than last year. That number is actually down from the previous year when 60% of Americans reported being more anxious in 2020 than in 2019. I'm not sure I can do all the math, but I think this means a whole lot more Americans are anxious now than they were a couple of years ago. Anxiety, of course, comes in many degrees and intensities. I get a little anxious when the check engine light on my car pops on. I got really anxious when the whole world sort of shut down due to an unknown virus. And many people, nearly 40 million adults in the US, suffer from an anxiety disorder. Anxiety can be annoying. It can prevent us from feeling as comfortable as we like in some situations. Or it can be downright debilitating. So I wonder whether it can be dealt with in so simple a manner as our collect for the week seems to indicate. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. Like, that's it? Just, just don't be anxious about earthly things? Is that as easy as it gets? That might seem like cold comfort or, or worse to someone who's dealing with a full-blown anxiety disorder. Now, my own view on an issue like anxiety is that we humans are, are complex and, and multifaceted beings. And this means that often the challenges we face are also complex and multifaceted. And if that's the case, then surely the solutions to what ails us are going to be complex and multifaceted as well. I think Jesus clearly demonstrates this in that he didn't offer a, a one-size-fits-all kind of approach to people. Some people needed to be taught, some people needed to be scolded, some people needed to be questioned, some people needed to be physically healed. There are multiple ways of addressing the complex and multifaceted challenges we humans face, and that includes anxiety. I think one component, one major component of addressing anxiety is through psychological counseling or psychiatric care. There are wonderful resources that we humans have discerned for helping one another through certain mental health challenges. And I think those are vital and at times necessary towards greater mental health. But I think there are also times that there are spiritual components to our mental health. And addressing these aspects of the complexity and multifaceted nature of us humans is also vital and at times necessary to our flourishing. And since this is a Sunday morning sermon at a church, I'm going to talk about the spiritual stuff. But don't, don't hear me as downplaying the, the medical or the relational side of, of facing anxiety or the like. I think when functioning properly, the psychological sciences and our theological reflections should go hand in hand. But in light of our readings this morning, I want to suggest that the singularity of God's nature can be a key component of a multifaceted approach to addressing the varying levels of anxiety that we face. That is, the unity of God provides us with good reason not to be anxious about earthly things, but instead to love things heavenly. Deuteronomy 6.4, which we heard today, is sometimes called the Shema Yisrael, Hear, O Israel. It's something of a, a creedal statement for Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the ancient Near East, uh, Israel's monotheism, their belief that there's only one God, 
was a rather novel outlook on reality. Polytheism, many gods, that was the name of the game for most of those in and around the land that had been promised to Abraham or the land of Egypt from which these Israelites who received these words recently came. Yet the followers of the Lord God were not to count their God as one among many. The Lord God claims to be the only God, the sole God, who alone is God. And apparently this proved to be a rather challenging way for the Israelites to think. In fact, there's still scholarly dispute about whether the Israelites of the Bible were actually monotheists. Did they really believe in one supreme, all-powerful God? Or might they have thought of their God as just kind of like one among many, maybe their own little special God, their patron saint, so to speak, but not the only God? I think that actually the Israelites seem to waver between monotheism and polytheism. And this, in fact, is one of the main problems that God had to face in dealing with his people. Why else does God have to so forcefully tell the people here in Deuteronomy that he is the only God? Why does God make the first commandment of the ten that there shouldn't be any other gods but God? Well, because this seemed to be a rather difficult idea for the people to, to wrap their minds around. Often one of the first signs when you read the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, the first signs that things are going awry was when the people went after other gods, putting up worship spaces for Baal or Asherah or whomever. It seems likely they weren't replacing the Lord God with a different monotheistic deity, but rather they were just adding some other gods to their conception of the world. But polytheism, I would submit, is a rather anxiety-inducing view of reality. Think of the Homeric world, for instance. Think of the Iliad. You know, those poor Achaeans, those poor Trojans, their god situation's a mess. <laughs> Zeus and Hera and Athena and Artemis not just conflicting with one another, they're in outright competition with one another. How's a poor Trojan supposed to know whether his next action is going to be rewarded by the gods or get him struck by lightning? This is an anxiety-inducing cosmos. But monotheism places stability, consistency, regularity, and even security at the foundation of reality. Or maybe another way to think about this from a psychological perspective, likely any book you pick up on parenting is going to tell you that it's, it's healthy for children to have consistent parenting from their mother or father or caregivers. It's important for parents to present a unified approach to parenting a child how you're going to discipline, what values are going to instill, what ideas are we going to communicate to the child. And it's, it's destabilizing for a child and indeed can produce anxiety to have conflicting messages coming from the main figures in their lives. So too with our conception of God. Now perhaps, my guess is that not many of us today are actually struggling with polytheism. I don't ever hear many debates online these days about whether or not Zeus or Athena or Jesus can all get along. But I do think that a contemporary competitor to monotheism is atheism. It's not many gods that Christians are confronted with. It's no god. And I would think that this view of reality, that there is no higher power, there is no creator, there is no all-powerful, all-loving god, would be an even more anxiety-inducing view of reality than the idea that there are many gods. Because here's one way that anxiety sometimes crops up. 
when we think that everything is on us, like, like if I don't come through on this deadline on my job, then the, the whole company is going to fall apart. Or, or if I don't take care of this group project in my class, no one's going to do it and we're all going to fail the assignment. Or if I don't figure out the best mitigations for COVID, then my whole family is going to suffer. Anxiety sometimes comes when we think that everything's up to us or that there will be some disastrous ramifications if we don't take care of things. But if atheism is true, then it really is up to us. There really is no one else but me. It really does end up being all on me. But that's not Judaism. That's not adhering to the Shema. And it's not Christianity either. As we heard this morning, not only does God assert his singularity in Deuteronomy, but Jesus himself reiterates this truth in response to the scribes' question. And what does this singularity of our conception of God mean? I think it means that God, our God, is the only God. God is the highest power in the cosmos. There's no one like him. There's no one to compete with him. There's no one to thwart him. And for those of us who trust in him, we know that it's not all up to us. Perhaps this knowledge may in fact help to ease our anxiety. And again, anxiety comes from many places and it needs to be addressed in many ways. But I'd suggest that one of the ways it crops up is because we forget that God exists. We forget that God is one. We forget that it's not all on us. And I think God seems to know this about humans. And this is why in verse 7 of our reading in Deuteronomy 6 today, he commands the faithful followers of the Lord to recite, the, to recite these words. Recite the words that God is one at home and when away when you lie down and when you rise. And for many Jews to this day, this prayer, the Lord our God, hear the Lord our God, the Lord is one, forms the center of their morning and evening prayer services. You might use a little more psychology here, ritualizing or making a habit of expressing a proposition like God is one is a good way to actually come to believe that proposition or, or to come to believe that proposition more firmly. And that should be familiar to us. We do this in our liturgy. Why do we say the Nicene Creed every week? Well, many reasons, but one of them is so we might actually come to believe it. Uh, I recall sitting in a, in a pub in Scotland with a PhD student, a philosophy student who was studying philosophy of religion. Uh, he was very bright, but an atheist who was just fascinated by religion. And uh, it must have been a Saturday because we invited him to church the next day. And, and, and he said he, he goes to church a lot, loves the liturgy, loves the music but he won't participate in saying the creed. I said, well, that's because you don't believe it, right? And he said it was because he didn't want to believe it. And he was afraid that if he started saying the creed, he might actually come to believe what it said. And I thought, well, this, this dude gets the power of liturgy. But I wonder if we too might heed this command here from Deuteronomy 6. Not a command that we have to follow to earn our salvation or something. Today's Reformation Day, so no works righteousness here. We might see this as a, a best practices kind of command. If we want to come to deeply believe that God exists, and that God is one, and that God is the foundation of reality, then we say it. Say it in the morning. Say it in the evening. Say it when you rise and when you sleep, in your coming and in your going. And through coming to believe this deeply, you might indeed come to not be anxious about earthly things. There's also a flip side to our, our collect today. 
doesn't just ask God to help us avoid anxiety, kind of a negative focus, but it, it has a positive side as well, asking that God would grant us to love things heavenly. Now, I take it that this collect is not talking about some kind of escapism, like let's get out of earth and get to heaven. Rather, I think things heavenly is a rather 16th century way of saying the things of God, those things that will endure. And this, in fact, is just what Jesus describes as part of the first commandment. God is one, and we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And this, too, I would submit, might serve to ease our anxiety. For when we love God, we are affixing our attention, fixing our affection, not something that is passing away, but on one who is true, consistent, and reliable. And so in closing, let's pray this collect once more. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, as we live among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.